Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. I think churches maybe get a bad rap, and maybe sometimes it's deserved. We're talking about money a lot and about tithing all the time, and and uh, I think if it, it hits us all in a place, it's kind of uh, it's a little close to home sometimes. And and if you've been a part of this church for a long time, you know I don't preach about this a lot, uh, but it's important to preach about, no doubt. I mean, it's a very important topic. Uh, in fact, uh, if you're part of Rooted, which we're going to be meeting tonight, and uh, not going to our groups directly, but we're going to have a, a short talk from me first about giving. And one of the important things that we talk about tonight in our talk is the fact that there are five, a little over 500 verses on prayer. There's under 500 verses on faith. Can anybody guess, none of you leaders that have already been through this, can anybody guess how many verses there are on money and giving? 2,000 verses. 2000. So it's something that we obviously God wants to address with us and I think it all connects to the thing that Jesus said is that where your your treasure is, hmm, that's where your heart's going to be. And that's why there's such a big we cannot disconnect these things. We've got to make that connection between our money and our serving of God and all of that. Um, and so, so, but today, I don't really want to talk... Uh, uh, tonight, we'll get into the nitty-gritty, if you know what I'm saying, right? We're going to get into more of that stuff. But today, I really want to hit things a little bit differently and talk about the underlying reason for what the idea of giving is all about and really the fact that God wants to provide for us. Do you know that? He really does. He likes providing. He is a good, good father. Amen. He's good, and he has good intentions for us. That's really who he is. So the title we stole from Rooted here is, uh, uh, the title is, How Does God View Money? And actually, we'll do more of that tonight, but I'm using that title as well because I, I think it really gives us a launching point to talk about this subject a little bit. And uh, to see the fact that God does want to provide for his people, and we're going to look at an Old Testament story as a pattern of how that transpires. How does God do that in our lives? What, there's his part, but there's our part. And believe me, if we don't play our part, God is not going to play his part when it comes to provision in our lives. So our story in our text today, and if you would, turn to your Bibles in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verses 1 through 7. We'll read that just in a moment here. But our text today is a story about a good and godly man. He was a part of the company of the prophets. He was, he was a good guy, but, but like many of us do, he thought, oh, I've got all the time in the world, no worries, no problems. I will just, uh, I, I, I'm going to extend myself and overextend myself into debt because I have plenty of time to pay this off. You know how that all goes, right? We've, none of us in this room have ever done that, of course, but never. Okay. So, but what happens is, is the, and, and sadly, very sadly, he dies and suddenly leaves his wife widowed with two, two boys. And, uh, the, with that, and they're still saddled with the debt. They still have to take care of the debt. In those days, um, if you couldn't pay a debt, you would have to be sold as slaves or your children would be sold as slaves to make up for that debt that you owed. And so this poor widow has faced the death of her husband and now potentially the loss of her two sons as well. Uh, that, and, and here's the problem with the whole thing. In those days, of course, there was no Social Security. There's no backup plan. There's, no, there's nothing like that. Your retirement plan was your kids. 
You understand what I'm saying? That's why it was so important to have children and have a lot of them in those days because your retirement plan, and if you had a little family farm or you had something, what you would do is you would leave that to your, especially to your sons, and they would work that farm, and then they would take care of you in your old age. Of course, I have this arrangement with, yeah, amen, I have this arrangement with my boys as well. I've lo- let them know I've been very, very good to you in your lives. You just remember this because I don't know if, you know, that's why we had boys. No. By the way, I don't believe boys only can do that for their moms and dads, uh, and of course that's not true, but in those days that's the way it was. So, let's get into the text. Let's look at this from 2 Kings 4.1. Here we go. The wife of a man of the company of the prophets cried out. That word in the original Hebrew means to shriek. I mean like screaming at the top of her lungs kind of a thing. I'm not going to scream, but you get the idea. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. She's shrieking it out because it's so desperate for her. I mean, there's a lot on the line here. The loss of her sons, uh, the slavery they would be in, plus the fact that she would have no provision for the rest of her life. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me. And then watch this question now. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? She replies, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go outside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go and sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. We're going to look at this pattern from this Old Testament story today about how we can open up to the provision of God. Are you in? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for the, the, the amazing things that, Lord, how, how rich your word is and how, how much of a treasure. And as we dig a little deeper today into this story, we see some things. God, I pray you reveal some stuff to our hearts about areas where we can change, where we can do better, Lord, where we can understand you and know you better. I pray for this in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Amen, amen. So how many of you have ever been misunderstood before? All right, that's pretty much everybody, right? Like you said something you didn't mean to say. I remember one time Ron and I were at a retreat with some other pastors. Uh, they were walk- the, these, there was a couple that were walking down a hall uh, from a distance away, and I, we came out, and we're walking toward them. We're going to meet at the elevator and go down to a session together. And uh, this, the, this pastor's uh, wife had a, a really long, dark hair at that time. I remember that. And um, so anyway, we see them coming, and we knew who they were, and we said... Hey, and all I, all I, from way down the hallway, I said, hey, there's the, and I, put, I said their names. And that's all I said. And so they came up to us, and we're standing there, we're getting ready to turn to the elevator, and she looks me in the eye and sneers at me and say, what did you say? I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, and I was like very much taken aback. I said, I said uh, well, I said hi to you guys. There's the, and I put their name in there. And she said, oh, I thought you said there's the Adams family. I think there was something going on in her head that wasn't in my head, you know. I didn't. So, so she, was, she misunderstood me in that moment. She was angry with me. I'm not even sure she ever got over that. I, <laughs> I've seen her since then, and she doesn't really give me the time of day anymore. But it's like I was totally misunderstood, you know. Nothing like that was in my mind at all. 
And so it's weird when you get, you get misunderstood like that. When Rhonda and I were on vacation and we met up with uh, Lonnie and Corey, we got, uh, you heard about this. I keep bragging about it because it was so much fun, but no, I'm not. Uh, but anyway, we went to see professional golf, which was fun for us. We'd never been to a, a professional match before. And there was one point, I think uh, Alani and Corey were, were looking in the store for some uh, mementos and things, and, and I wanted to go sit down, so Rhonda came with me, and we went out and we sat down. Uh, I don't remember which hole it was, it doesn't matter, but we were sitting down. And, and it's funny with professional golf because um, you never really see this on TV. It always looks like there's big crowds around everybody, right? But you, what you don't understand is there's so many groups of people that are no-names, really. That, that, I mean, and nobody's following them. Nobody really cares. <laughs> they're like, they're just playing golf and nobody's paying attention to them. Tiger Woods walks up, he could be having a terrible day, but there's a throng of people all around him. And so it's very interesting to watch this. So we happened to be there at a moment when this, this kind of unknown, unknown group of three golfers were coming up, very few people sitting around, but we we're actually sitting there watching them. Not because, you know, we were just because we were resting more than anything else, but not, not necessarily. But anyway, we're sitting there, and the green is this direction from us. The, the fairway goes down this direction. We're sitting on the edge, and we noticed that one of the golfers, after he had hit, was walking over behind us, kind of off to the side. And so he was getting lined up for a shot. He'd hit way off to the right, and he was lining up a shot that was basically going to go directly over our heads. So we thought, oh, this is cool. You know, we get to see uh, kind of up close. And so, and we're just sitting there in the line of fire, but we figure, well, we're probably safe. You know, he is a pro after all. He should be able to hit over our heads. So we're sitting there, and then all of a sudden he takes a shot, and, and this, is, this was what was so disappointing for me with watching professional golf. I was so, so excited to see how fast they hit the balls and how, how the balls flew, but as I'm getting older, my eyesight just isn't that great, and so I'd see the ball start off, and then I'd lose it, and I'd go, Darr. So I was like, you yeah. know, so I, he hits the ball, I lose it immediately, but Rhonda's got better eyesight. She's got bionic eyes that, that uh, were given to her by contact lenses, but anyway, so... So she, she sees this ball fly over her head and sees the direction of it and, uh, and is like, and uh, so the guy, after he hits, he begins to walk and he walks within like five feet of us, right? He's just right, right in front of us. And as he gets right next to us, Rhonda said, good shot, like that, really encouraging him, you know, because she figures nobody's really encouraging this poor guy. She's going to encourage him, good shot. And he just kind of sneered and stared straight ahead and didn't respond at all. And so we, as he's walking by, we're thinking, how rude, man. Like, what is, what is his problem, right? You should be happy that anybody's even watching you golf. <laughs> so he walks past us, and we expect to walk him, watch him walk onto the green. But instead, he pulls a club out of his bag and steps into the sand trap in front of the green. So Rhonda had thought she had seen it go onto the green. And in, so in his mind, she's saying, good shot. And he's thinking, you hag, I can't believe you. <laughs> right? He misunderstanding, right? <laughs> misunderstanding. Are you with me? So, <laughs> so he thinks she's mocking him, but, but, he, but she's not. She had very good intentions. Here's what I want to suggest today as we get into this. I want to suggest to you that God has been misunderstood when it comes to money. Okay? I'm just being real with you. He's, listen, you've got to get this deep in your soul. He's not asking us to give because he needs money. He really doesn't. He's telling us to give and he's commanding us to give because he wants to open up a flow of blessings to us that only can come when we are willing to let go. 
When we let go and we put trust, giving is not about financing anything. It's not about paying my salary or keeping the lights on. I mean, it does that stuff, and I'm thankful for that, but that isn't what it's about. It's about trusting God. And if you're not giving to God, you're not trusting God. And that's really what he's after. And why does he care whether you trust him or not with your money? Because if you don't trust him with your money, where your heart is, your treasure is going to be, you understand? You're not going to trust him in other areas too, okay? But now we're going to just kind of turn a corner away from that. We'll talk more about that tonight. And by the way, if anybody wants to come to the first part of Rooted tonight, even if you're not involved in Rooted, you can come to the first 30 minutes when I speak about this subject in more detail. You're welcome to come to that, and then the groups will break off, and you can go if you'd like. Uh, we will have a, a Rooted group that will meet in the spring for anybody who's not in it now who would like to be. I just want to let you know that. Okay, so uh, here's, here's what I want to say. If we think of God as like this vending machine or like a lottery kind of a thing, do you understand what I mean by all that? We're not going to understand his heart for us. And God is always working with us and through us when it comes to provision. So first, looking at our story, and the first point I want to make is this. Start with what you have. Start with what you have. See, after hearing that she should go and collect the jars to fill, the oil that she, fill, fill them with oil that she does not have, I suppose there could be a few responses to that that would maybe go through her. I mean, put yourself in her shoes. And, uh, and here's, here's some objections that she might have, but, and the root of it, let's, let's look at the root of what may, maybe each of these might be. Because of pride sometimes, she might have said, I don't even know my neighbors very well. I'm going to feel like a fool if I go over there, right? And ask for jars to borrow jars. I don't feel comfortable with that. So pride can get in the way of God's provision. Fear could get in the way of God's provision. She, she might have said, boys, let's just get a few because we don't want to look foolish if this doesn't work out. Let's see if it works before we waste too much time on it. Disbelief. She might turn to her boys and say, pack your bags, we're leaving town. <laughs> right? We could get into that mode. We, we can get selfish or say, I want it my way. I want to do it my way. Uh, she might have even said, you know, that's all fine and good, Elijah or Elisha, but can I just have some cold hard cash here? That would just... We'll go, let's skip the middleman. Let's go, right? I want it my way. Or, or the idea, of, and this could kind of go along with the idea of the disbelief, but just the escape. Uh, thinking of different ways, it could, different scenarios. God, couldn't you just kill the guy we owe the money to? Right? There's different, so, so there's all these things that can get in the way, I think, of, of this. But the, Elisha starts with this. He says, what do you have? She's, she has a need, but he's saying, what do you have? See, we already know God's resources are unlimited, but that's not the question at hand here. The question is, what do you have? That's always the starting place. God, this is something, a revelation that came to me uh, and not, too late in my life, I suppose, and I hope you are getting it because I say it a lot. But God is committed to and always will work everything through human beings. Everything. Right? He can do miracles, but it's always going to start where we're involved with it. Since creation was finished, since the day he created man, from that point on, he's been doing everything through the agency of human beings. Even so much so that the saving of the world had to be done through a human being. Okay? So, so, so uh, we were looking, he's committed to working through us. The starting place for any miracle is always going to involve us. It is, it's in some way. And in this case, God wants to provide miraculously for this woman and her sons. Does he have the power to materialize a pile of money in a, or a room full of jars of oil? He, he most certainly does, but can I tell you, he won't do it that way. He's not going to do it for you and me that way either. He will always ask us, what do you have? What are you going to do 
toward this. His, his work on the other end is going to be abundant and profound and amazing, but he's always going to start with, what are you doing? What do you have? In any miracle for provision or healing or anything, he's always going to work through what you have or what someone who's available. Think about Peter and Jesus. They owe taxes. The, you know, the guy says, well, you do pay the tax. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 we pay the tax. Peter, go down to the lake. Take, you, you know, take your fishing gear. Go down there. The, catch a fish. The first ca- fish you catch, when you open up its mouth, there's going to be two coins in there that's enough to pay for your taxes and mine. I, I don't know about you, but if I'm Peter, I'm like, that sounds fun, right? But listen, Peter had to bring to the table his what? His skill. You remember what he used to do for a living? So he's, he's bringing his skill to the table of, I'm a fisherman, I know how to catch fish. And he's bringing his gear along. He's, he's involved in the process. Could Jesus have materialized two coins in uh, Peter's hand? Yes, he could have, but that's not how he does it. That's not how he does it. You go out to this grassy field, there's probably 15,000 people there. Only one little boy had enough sense to pack lunch. It was probably his mom, you know, good Jewish mom. Son, no, 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 you're not going out to follow Jesus until I pack you a little lunch. She gives him basically a filet of fish sandwich and sends him out the door. And, and there's all these people there with no food. And Jesus says, feed them. They said, Master, you know. If we had many months' wages, eight months' wages, we couldn't feed all these people. All right, what are you doing? And he says, what do you have? Well, you know, we're limited. We're thinking it's too, too little. It's not enough. We just have a couple of fish and some loaves of bread. That's all I need. Just, just that little bit. If we put it in God's hands and trust him with it, he multiplies it. He makes it big. He makes it amazing. Are you tracking with me today? So, so he, mind you, again, he doesn't need much to work with. He can take a little, but when we're unwilling to start with giving what we have and putting our, ours into it, what do you have kind of a thing, then he's not able to do it. Important lesson, sometimes people rush to aid people too quickly when it might be better to find out from them, what do you have to put toward this? Do you understand what I'm saying? People are asking for things. What can you do? Right? We kind of, it's an unwritten rule around here, but even if people need, say, to go to a retreat and they don't have enough money, typically we'll say, well, can you pay a little bit? Right? And, and that's just sort of a thing we do here because we know that if, they, if there's a, even a little investment, they're going to understand that. And, and there are times you, just get, you can just give and be generous. I, I get that. But I think a lot of times when we're doing... I remember a story about a guy who... Uh, he, he needed counseling. He was a mess. He was, uh, I think it was alcohol and drug related. And uh, he was having problems with his wife. And he really needed counseling, but he had zero money. And uh, we, there was this counselor who was willing to counsel people uh, for free. And uh, occasionally he would do this as a kind of pro bono counseling. And so the, we sent the guy to him. And uh, the counselor said, well, okay, before we get into this, how are you going to pay for this? The guy says, I don't have any money. I can't pay. And he, he says, okay, okay, I can, I can probably work with you. And he looked at the guy, and the guy had a, you know, you don't see it much anymore, but he had his T-shirt, and he had a package of cigarettes rolled up in the... He said, what's that on your sleeve there? He says, that's a pack, pack of cigarettes. He said, I'll take that as payment. <laughs> what do you have, right? I thought that was profound. I thought that was amazing. I love that. So you start with what you have. That's the pattern of Scripture. That's what God wants us to do. So, so God uses... What, he, what we have, not what we don't have, 
to do these things. And our misunderstanding, in this case of God, is that we think we can pray about a financial situation, and, and, and when we get home, there's going to be a suitcase of money sitting there that just materializes in our house. It's not happening. All right? God will always start with what you have. The second thing I want you to notice from this story is, after that is to, secondly, be obedient in every detail. Notice this. It's very important to listen carefully and follow the instructions carefully of what God has said. Not following these instructions can be detrimental uh, to your health and well-being, amen? <laughs> right? Not doing things. Remember Lot's wife? Remember her? The angel, simple instructions. Hey, head out that direction and what? Don't, don't look back. Don't look back. It was simple. But at some point in the journey, for whatever reason, Mrs. Lot did. And we're told she became a pillar of salt. Uh, it may seem like a small detail, but, but it's sometimes it's just those details that make all the difference. And that's why when we study God's Word, we study to show ourselves a workman, a proof to God. We get into the Word, we dig in, and we want to learn. And that's why it's important to hear the preaching of the Word of God so that we can digest it and get as much of the detail as we can so we can be as obedient as we possibly can at every point. It's very important. There was a Sunday school teacher that was describing that story of how Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt, and a little boy interrupted. He said, he said, my mom looked back once while she was driving, and she turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> Let's look at verse 5 again in our text, if you still have it open there. It says, she left him, and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons, they brought the jars to her and kept pouring. You, you, to the whole story, we probably would have missed the detail that he said, when you go in, shut the door. Shut the door. And I think this is important. I think it's very important uh, to follow these instructions. When he said, shut the door, she shut the door. I, when I get a new, you know, like this last week, I installed a new printer here at the church, and the, the first thing they have on top of these boxes of computers and printers and all this stuff are instruction sheets, and, and like pretty much most guys, what I do is I grab that and throw it over to the side, and I get the product out, and I get going on it, right? Come on. I mean, you know, I'm just being real. That's just the kind of guy I am. I just, or like I get some piece of furniture that requires assembly. I don't read the directions. I just start assembling. But you know what mostly happens is I have to unassemble it and then start over again because I, I didn't read the directions. So I think reading the directions is pretty important. Um, and that happened to me this week with that printer. I was, I was in, installing it, and I got it working on every computer in the whole church except for my computer on my desk. That's not good. So finally I had to get a hold of HP customer support, and, and uh, I, this this gal, I assume it was a gal, I think it was, but anyway, she's, she's helping me through texting and typing back and forth, and it took her about 20 minutes to undo all the mess I had made on my computer, and she, I was watching, you know, you ever had anybody take over your computer, and I'm trying to watch what she's doing so I can pay the, I was lost right off the bat, it was gone. But it's important to do everything. She shuts the door. This miracle is not for nosy neighbors, who no doubt were very curious to see, why is she collecting all these jars? What's that all about? It reminds me of Matthew 6.6 6, when Jesus says, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will re reward you. It reminds us also that Jesus, many times he'd do a miracle, and oftentimes what would he say to the people he'd done the miracle with? Don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> and they, of course, they'd go out and tell people, but he'd say, don't tell anybody, right? So, so but here's the thing. Sometimes testimony needs to be given. And if... We never were told some of these stories. 
we wouldn't know that they're even in our Bibles. You understand? So there is a place for testimony. There is a place to tell. But we also have to be obedient. So if we feel like the Lord says, no, nah, you don't need to tell somebody that story, which is really hard for a preacher, by the way. Um, don't tell the story. In an earlier story with Elijah, God provided oil that flowed miraculously from one jar. Remember this? Different story. Sometimes we get them confused. And, and so she had one jar, and every time she'd pour out oil and put it back down, it'd just refill. And she'd dip out flour, and she'd make a, a bread or a cake or something, and all of a sudden the flour would reappear. And this happened for quite some time for this lady. And one might be tempted to think, well, that's the way God did it before. Right? Maybe she knew that story even. That's the way God did it before. God will do it again the same way. That's why we have to listen carefully to all the instructions. Because I, I'm going to tell isn't it interesting when Jesus heals people that it seems like a lot of times he does, never does the same thing twice? Oh, you're blind. Okay, I'm going to spit on the ground, make mud, and jam it in your eyes. Oh, you're, you know, he had the spitting ministry. It's like, oh, you, you can't hear. He spit, and he touched his tongue with his spit. I mean, like, really, Lord? <laughs> I have never felt led to the spitting ministry. I don't know about any of you. I hope God never calls me to do that. But if he does, you'll understand why I'm spitting, right? So we think, that's, we're looking at why, how will God will do it, but we must obey. I love this passage from 1 Peter 1. He says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now watch this. As obedient children, right? As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Stay obedient to every detail. God's word is full of commandments to us, and they're not suggestions, people. They are just not. And we wonder why we don't see as many miracles as we'd like to in our lives and in our church, and we need to ask ourselves, have we been obedient at every level that we can? We misunderstand God. The second misunderstanding is we think we can continue to live in disobedience and expect His provision to flow in our lives. He loves us enough to make sure that we fully obey Him. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not that He's mad and it's not that He's against us. He is not. He's for us. But He wants to make sure we're doing things the right way so that we won't get messed up in our lives. And then finally, the last thing is this, to briefly Here's the last point I see from this lady that's so, so good. Don't give up, keep going. Don't give up, keep going. They brought the jars to her, and she, she kept pouring. Uh, verse 6 says, when the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. He said, there's no more jars. So, so she stayed with it. She kept pouring. I get the impression the way it reads, and I'm not absolutely sure of this, but I kind of get this impression. She has this jar of oil, and she's pouring it, and... And it's like she, I don't think she's ever putting it down because it says she kept pouring. She just kept pouring. So the boys are grabbing jars and moving them out of the way and pouring and pouring. Get another jar, get another jar. There's no more. Oh, and then it stops. Wow. What an incredible miracle. And so, so what I get from that is God is a God of abundance. Oh, do you know how much he wants to bless you, church? He really does. He wants to bless your life. In so many ways. He, 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 I love that it's not just enough to pay off the debt and take care of that so that her sons... But, it, but if you keep reading, it says that uh, Elisha said, you and your sons can live on what is left. Now, I don't know how long that was. Maybe it was just till the boys got old enough to work and, and provide a living. But there was so much abundance in what God did. He not only took care of the problem, but he took care of the future for this lady. And that is so cool to me. I love that. 
God is a God of abundance. And this kind of persistence that we have in our lives, get, don't give up. Keep going after it. It, it. It's a point of character that we all need to cultivate. Don't give up. Stay with it. Whatever it is, stay with it to the very end. If you had a promise for God, don't give up on that promise. Just keep, you know, dig your claws into that thing and don't let go. Hang on to the end because God will be vindicated. God will do what he said he would do. Note that the, the jo- only jars that were uh, empty, only the empty jars could be filled, Right? And we talked about this last week, if you were here. If you weren't, you can listen online. But we talked about the fact we, we know that we're to be filled with the Spirit. But how can we, God fill us with His Spirit on a daily basis if we're never being poured out for some reason? If there's nothing going on in our lives that we need to be poured out for, then there's like the Holy Spirit comes along, I'm ready to fill you. Oh, you're already full. Moving on, right? So, so, so we're pouring ourselves out. I love these two quick scriptures. Uh, Hebrews 10, 36. He says, you need to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Persevere, stay after it. And I love the way this is worded from Ephesians 6, 13, from the full armor of God that Brent preached on a few weeks ago, which was so profound. But therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to, what is it? Stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. It's like, do you think he wants us to stand and stay, stay with it and don't give up and hang on? Right? Keep standing in there. Don't give up on it. And we misunderstand God when we think it's His fault we don't have what we need, when in fact we've been lazy or failed to persevere in some way. His expectation of us is that we stay faithful. Does that sound right to you? So good. Worship team, come on back up. In reality, this message today flows out of what we said last week about how we can make the most of our lives. And, uh, and as Lonnie pointed out from that message, that Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Receiving is great, and God wants us to have everything we need for life and godliness. But he says giving is superior. Giving is better. When we hold back in giving, we're not only cutting off blessings for ourselves, but we're cutting off blessings for others as well. Now, I'm not just talking about putting money in the plate in church. I'm talking about being a person who's generous at all times. You know, there's a verse, Jesus said these words, give to everyone who asks you. What are we going to do with that? Right? Be generous. And then we have this promise from Philippians 4, and my God will meet all your needs according to His riches. Oh, So there's a limitless supply that God can draw on and he will supply all of our needs out of that limitless supply. Don't ever doubt it. Don't ever doubt it. So what was it that brought about this amazing miracle in this woman? She believed the word of the Lord and she acted on it. She did what what the preacher said to do, basically. She believed that God is good and he wants to meet needs. Do you believe that today? She brought what she had She made every resource available to God. And I want to ask you today, are you making every resource that you have available to God? Think about it. Every resource available to God. She was obedient to do what the prophet said. Are we prepared to obey his word in every detail? She was persistent. She got every jar and filled every jar. Are we ready to do what it takes, as long as it takes, to see that thing through? In Jesus' name. And as it was with Rhonda's good intentions with that golfer, uh, trust me when I tell you that God has good intentions for you. 
And anything that's made you feel otherwise, you need to erase from your mind because God is good. If you ever think he doesn't want to care for you or doesn't want to provide for you, I promise you, you've misunderstood God. He really wants to. See, I always tend to think of it this way. If there's ever a problem with me experiencing what God says is mine, the problem is never on his end. Would you agree with that statement? And so, but, but, and I don't want to say, well, you, you have to do everything exactly perfect, right? Listen, Jesus is our perfection. We're never going to be perfect. But we're trending in the right direction. And as we trend in the right direction, then Jesus is beginning to pour out more and more blessings in our direction. So we asked the question at the beginning, how does God view money? But maybe a better question for us in regard to money is how do we view God? Is, do you see him as good? Do you understand he's a good God? I hope you do today. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.